Last week, we were talking about when you have more than enough, when you have great prosperity and your heart is given then to covetousness. But there is another kind of covetousness, and that's what Jesus addresses next. And it's not so much in being assured of life in wealth, but being anxious for life in wealth. Not when you have more than enough, but when you don't quite have enough. We still are prone to having the sin of covetousness in our lives. So we're going to read Jesus address this in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus said back in verse 15, you remember there was a man who kind of interrupting Jesus in the middle of his message said, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me, to give me what I'm due. And that's when Jesus said in verse 15, be on your guard against all covetousness, against all covetousness. And that word all is key. Then following on that that instruction, that command, Jesus told that parable of the rich fool and his bumper crop year and how he had this plan to build bigger barns and a plan to be set for life. The man had uh, heaped up great wealth and he was looking to hoard all of the surplus for himself, all of it. And in that, he was looking for life. But he was a fool, and God's judgment was on him. Jesus says, be on your guard against that kind of covetousness. But again, there's more than one kind. Jesus says, all covetousness must be guarded against. And so now, he looks to his disciples, in particular, as he preaches. Do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more 
than clothing. I just want to, I don't want to sound like I'm harping on it, I just want to stress this again. When you have more than enough, you're going to be tempted to covetousness. And when you don't have enough, there will be those times in our lives when there is a financial strain, when we owe more than what we have. Again, we're going to be tempted to covetousness. The one kind has assurance of life and wealth, and the other is anxious for life in wealth. One has more than enough, one doesn't have enough, but both are covetousness. So whether you're on the top rung in life or you're at the bottom, we're tempted to this sin. And it's no wonder that in Proverbs chapter 30, this prayer is offered up. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. From the top or the bottom, we may covet. And so God help us to know our hearts, to realize the, 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 the tactics and the schemes of Satan when it comes to, to wealth, and God help us to guard our hearts against all kinds of covetousness. He says, do not be anxious. Notice that Jesus addresses this uh, particular part of his message, especially to his disciples. In the previous paragraph that was addressed, especially to the crowds. But now he's really focusing in on his own followers. The reason for that is because when God's people prioritize generosity as we ought to, as we must, we may find to be in a time where we don't quite have enough. We're not succeeding and advancing on par with the world. Or another possibility, not only prioritizing generosity, but when the time comes for God's people to suffer persecution, we may find that we are in want and that we don't have enough to make ends meet. So those two things is why Jesus is addressing His disciples. Because as Christians, following Jesus and prioritizing what He commands us to prioritize, we may find that there is a lacking of success and and material wealth and so on. So He tells us, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about food and don't be anxious about clothing because life is more than that. Life is more than, than food and clothing and so on. We have to take that to heart. All the world is seeking after those things. And some may be just barely scraping by and others may have all that they could ever want. But if that's what we're living for, we're not truly living. We're not truly living. That's not true life. Not life with God. Do people uh, who have those things, do they have true freedom? Do they have true security? Ultimate freedom and ultimate security, they don't. Because life is more than food. Life is more than clothing. Whether you're swimming in money or you can't rub two pennies together, you can be held captive to money. You can be held captive to food and clothing if that's what your heart is set on. 
if that's where you find your freedom and your security, then actually you're captive to those things. So as we, we think about life being more than the basics, let me ask you a question. What makes you feel secure? What gives you the assurance that all is going to be okay? We shouldn't find our freedom and our security when we have those things. We shouldn't say, well, it's having my debts all paid. You know, it's having health and my life and in my family's life, a shelter over our heads. You know, then I'm satisfied and then I'm secure. Let's not make an idol out of the things of the world. Let us all say with one heart and one voice, it's the Lord. In Him we find our freedom. In Him is all our security. He is our peace. I know that we have all felt at one time or another in our lives, and if maybe you haven't felt this yet, you'll, you'll get there eventually. But there's going to come a time, I suspect, I guess I'm not, I'm not a prophet, so I can't make this prediction absolutely, but I suspect that you're going to have a time in your life where you struggle to make ends meet where there is going to be some financial strain and you have more due in bills than what you have in hand. You know, when that, those unexpected bills are, are coming. That's the nature of life. So when they do come, do we lose our security? Do we lose our sense of freedom and do we lose peace in our hearts and in our minds? If we do, if we become obsessive and anxious and all of that, we are showing, we're demonstrating that it's in those things of the world, in God's gifts and not in God, that we're finding our life, that we're finding our security. Jesus is not telling us not to be concerned when we have lack. We should be concerned, concerned enough to do whatever is necessary to provide for our families, but not overly concerned. Jesus is telling us, do not give the basics more concern than what the basics are worth. Because life is more than that. Life is more than the basics. So there's no room in the Christian heart, Jesus is saying, for anxiety. Concern, yes. But not being overly concerned. Not the undue concern. Not panic. Not the sleepless nights. Not the the restlessness that comes from anxiety. That shouldn't find place in the hearts of the people of God because there's more to life than the basics. So now Jesus, uh, he gives us some examples beginning in verse 24 down through verse 28 of common concerns. He addresses the need for food and then he addresses the need for, for clothing. And there is such sweet reassurance in these promises that, um, I hope you get that, that sweetness in Christ's words. I hope you feel that. First, he reassures us about God's care for our need of food. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Ravens. In the Old Testament law, they were a species of bird that was considered unclean. Now, a lot of birds could be considered unclean, and it wasn't necessarily because of their appearance. But ravens not only were considered, you know, ceremonially unclean and unclean as far as their diet, you know, they weren't 
to eat them or anything. Those birds were off limits. But they are ugly. They're a, a big, ugly, scavenging bird. And yet God is the one who takes care of them. They are the object of God's care. And Jesus says, look at what they don't do. They don't work especially hard. They just do day by day what God made them to do. They go looking for their food. They don't plan. They don't prepare. Uh, they don't think about lean times ahead. Just every day, they go out looking for their food as God created them to do, and God provides faithfully for them. So Jesus is not saying, okay, look at how they don't work, and you, so you don't need to work either. You don't need to prepare for lean times, you know, or anything like that. He's not saying that. He is simply saying, as the ravens do what God created them to do, so we must do what God created us to do. We must work hard. And God will supply our need. Listen to how he says, consider. It's a big word. There are all kinds of lessons and truths that we need to draw from creation. Uh, Jesus has really given us two teachers here that are working together. Uh, creation and logic. When you, when you sum this up, it, Jesus is really saying, unbelief is just unreasonable. Because consider creation. Consider all that God has made. He made it, He gave that life, and He sustains that life. He is the faithful God. And how much more value are you to God than the birds? So unbelief, anxiety, it's unreasonable. It's not logical. Next, he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Okay, so he has said, unbelief is unreasonable and unbelief is useless. Anxiety is unreasonable and it's useless. Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Anxiety doesn't add anything to you. It doesn't help you and me in the least. In fact, we know that not only does it not help us, it actually hinders us. It weakens us. It robs us of strength. But just think about your, your lifetime for a moment. You know, I hope you know, from uh, the Old Testament truth, the Psalm 139, that every single one of your days is already numbered in God's book. Before you lived a single day, all your days were numbered in the book of God. Again, Psalm 139. So, our lifetime is a time frame that will not and cannot flex. It's not a flexible thing. And all of our anxiety and all of our inward struggling is not going to add to our lifetime a single hour. And what is an hour? I mean, what's an hour in this, in this day? What's one hour of 24? Not a lot. What's one hour in your work week? If if you get uh, only 39 hours of work in this week instead of 40, I mean, are you really going to feel that? Not really, because it's not much, not much time. So what's an hour over a month or a year? What's one hour in a whole lifetime? It's barely a thing. Really? It's nothing. But by all your anxiety, all of your inward struggle you can't add a single nothing, a single hour 
to your life. So Jesus says, If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? You can't control the time of your life. So why are you anxious and why are you worried about all of these other things that you can't control? There are certain things in your life that you can control. You make choices every single day. You can control to a large degree the patterns of thought in your mind. Choices you make, habits you build into your life, and so on. But all of this stuff that comes to you from outside, you know, if there's a a disease that invades your body or someone in your family, a lot of the time financial stresses and all of that, those things, these things are outside of our control. So why do we stress and why do we worry? Because God is in control. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. We're not in control. This is the thing about anxiety, and this is the thing about fear. We want the control. We want to be able to to harness the bad things and move them out of our lives. We, We want to bring good in. But we are creatures, and creatures aren't in control. So all we can do is trust God. That's not a little thing. That's a wonderful thing. That is the best thing. God has given that to us as a gift. That He is in control. He who loves us beyond all of creation. He's in control. This is again, you know, relentless logic in Jesus. When we are anxious, uh, we lose so much. We lose sleep. We lose peace. We lose joy, hope, endurance. Even love is lost from our lives when we are anxious because we are so concerned about us and ours that we are not looking out for the needs and the interests of others. So here's the next example. Verse 27, when Jesus reassures us about our need of clothing, he says, again, consider. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, here's our teacher. It's creation and logic working together to teach us about God. Lilies do nothing for their beauty. Uh, last couple Wednesday nights have been down at, at Ryan's place and he's got, <laughs> he's not here, he, but he's got this mess on the side of his driveway. I mean, weeds and all kinds of things growing out of control. Not that he has the time or even the want to to deal with those things. Not saying he keeps a messy place. Actually, his place is looking good. But beside his driveway, it's a mess. And yet, amongst all of that mess, there are some Beautiful flowers. And when you look at these things, first of all, you think evolution is just plain, plain stupid. But also, you know, it leads you to thanksgiving and to worship to what God has made for us and for our enjoyment. Solomon was the greatest king of his day. Nobody had riches that could compare to him. And yet try as he might, no matter what he had in in beauty and wealth, What he had for his royal robes and such 
couldn't even begin, Jesus said, to compare with a single lily. And yet Jesus said, but what is that thing? What is that flower in the field? It's beautiful for a day, just, you know, a season. And then in that day, they would use the flowers of the field and the grass for kindling, for fuel, for their oven, keep the house warm and cook their food and so on. And if God would care so much for His creation to clothe it with so much beauty, even though it's only here for such a small time frame, how much more will He care for you? How much more will He keep you clothed and and supplied in the things that you need for as long as He will have you live? Let me ask you a question. Someone here might be in want right now that I don't know about. But I'm sure that most of us have plenty and we have more than enough. Are you right now in the time of plenty thanking God for your plenty? Because thanksgiving is the first sign that you are actually trusting God to supply your need. The thankful person says, this isn't my doing. It has come from God. All the good that I have in my life, I owe to God. And so the the thankful person trusts God in times of plenty. And the thankful person then, when they do suffer want, will be quicker than the thankless person to continue to trust God. In verse 29, we come to another key command. Jesus says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. He gives this reason. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. God knows what you need. Sometimes we might think of God as just taking care of the world as a whole. He's keeping everything running. He's keeping people in general provided for. But the Bible is very clear that not only is He this great God above all, but He is a God who is very specific in His intention. I mean, His attention. He knows exactly what you need, down to the last detail. He knows your needs before they even come to you. He knows what you need. And if He is the the giver of life and the sustainer of life in this world, if He is supplying the need of all creation, don't you think that He will care for and He will supply the need of those whom He loves above all else? How senseless it is to fear, to be anxious, and to be worried. What Jesus is pressing upon us is that we do not be like the world around us that is seeking after all of these things. The body and life are for God. They're for His kingdom. So we must not make food for life and clothing for the body our everything. Because we and our lives and our bodies are for God. So we take these things that God gives to us to supply our needs, not as ends in themselves. We must not make these things, food and clothing, shelter, wealth and possessions, all of that are obsession. They're used to be used rather as means to serve God. 
All of it. We and all He gives are for Him, His glory, and His kingdom. There are only two ways to live. There are only two ways to live. And what Jesus is doing here is putting those two ways to live side by side. And He is asking us to consider these two ways of life and to realize there's only one choice to make. Only one choice that accords with following Jesus. And that's seeking His glory and seeking His kingdom. Not prizing what the world prizes. Not pursuing with our lives what the world pursues. But pursuing His glory and His kingdom. I I want you to, to realize how good this is. Every Christian, every Christian desires to be free from the, the anxieties and the worries of this world so that we can live freely for God. And that's what Jesus is proclaiming. He is proclaiming your freedom. If we will listen, if we will consider how God cares for creation, if we will Consider the, the logic of God's love. If He cares for these things around us in nature, how much more will He care for us? It is freedom. It is freedom from the worry and the obsession and the anxiety of this world to be free unto God, to live unto Him, and to pursue and to prize what's infinitely greater than the things of this world, infinitely more valuable. God's glory and His kingdom. If we will take Christ's message to heart, we will be free in our minds to serve God from all of the restless thoughts and the worries that give us sleepless nights. If we will take Jesus to heart, we will be free to pursue what really matters. God wants you free. Now, taking care of us and our earthly needs is one thing. I mean, these are the basics of life that Jesus is promising God will supply. That, that's one thing. And, and really, those are small things. But what about the big things? What about His kingdom? Can we be certain that God will bring us to His kingdom? That He is going to, going to actually give us the greatest thing? Now we come to one of the sweetest words of encouragement in all of the Bible in verse 32. Jesus says, fear not. I can't tell you how much I want you to take this this verse to heart and have this one really stick in you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Can you imagine, can you... Can you picture Christ saying anything better than this? Every word is loaded. Every word is rich in comfort. First thing, fear not. This is one of the most recurring commands in all of Scripture. It's so repetitive in the Bible because one of our first instincts in our falling hearts is to be anxious, is to be fearful. And so the Bible keeps saying what... Over and over again, don't fear, don't fear. Because it knows, the Bible, God knows the instinct of our hearts is to be anxious. So don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. We hear again and again. And we hear it again and again also because God is so trustworthy. God is absolutely trustworthy. He has never failed you. 
He has never made a mistake in your life. He has never made a promise that He has failed to keep. He is absolutely faithful. And you can trust His Word. So, do not be afraid. Don't let fear, don't let anxiety rule your life. Be free from it. God is our help. And He says, do not fear, little flock. I have a, a, a feeling that everyone is, is guilty in their lives of fear. Some of us are more prone to anxiety and fear than others. Just the smallest thing can set us off and get our minds making all kinds of false prophecies. You know, oh, I just know this is going to happen. And so many of the things that we say are going to happen don't materialize. But he's not exasperated. He hasn't had it up to here with you for being so fearful. Listen to how Jesus speaks so tenderly to all of the anxious people. He says, do not fear little flock. God has entrusted your life to the care of Jesus, His Son. God has given to Christ charge of your life. Your protection, your provision is in Christ's hands. God is not berating us here. He speaks very tenderly to His little flock. And then He says, I want to say the whole thing again. I could say this every day of my life and it would not grow old. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's, it's the opposite of being exasperated or impatient or had enough with you. God is happy to have you. He does not regret choosing you, calling you to Himself or adding you to His flock. He does not regret saving you. It is His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I wish that God's people, myself included, would take to heart how much God loves to have us as His own. As rotten as we are, as fearful as we are, as selfish and proud and bitter and lustful and all of the rest, yet it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom of His Son. He has made you an heir and it pleases Him to place you on the throne with His Son to seat you The throne of His Son. That's revelation. I'm not making that stuff up. It pleases Him. The kingdom is ours in Christ. God loves to deliver His people. God loves to keep His people. He loves to draw us to Himself. So, if this is what God has given to us, the kingdom, why should we heap up and hoard to ourselves the treasures of this world? We have been given the eternal. What sense does it make to obsess over the temporal? We have been given the reward that will never fade, that can't be stolen, can't be lost, can't be destroyed. So what sense does it make to hoard up what can't last in this life? If we seek the world, the things of this world, like the world is seeking, and if we made it to the top, if we had it all, if we were first, And we had the most. Do you realize where we'd be sitting? On an ash heap. 
on an ash heap. It's all going to be turned to dust. It's all going to be burned up. Not a thing of it will last. So why should you and I spend our lives giving our all for all of this that's all going to be lost? Why should we give our all for what will be lost? So Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now, let's be careful, biblically careful here. Jesus has already said, your Father in heaven knows what you need, right? He says he knows you need these things. Speaking of possessions, wealth, money, shelter, food, clothing, God knows you need and God will supply your need. So when he says sell your possessions and give to the needy, you can count on the fact that he does not mean give to the poor until the poor are rich and you are poor. That's not what he has in mind. Now there, there is, and I say this cautiously, there is some hyperbole here. There is some deliberate exaggeration here. And I say that cautiously because I'm afraid that we're going to just let ourselves off the hook and say, okay, so he, I don't have to give to the poor. No, Jesus does command that we be loving and we be giving to those who are in need. But let me let me put it in perspective this way by reading from Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. I love these verses. And I actually want to preach all the way through 2 Corinthians, especially because of these verses right here. Well, there's a few others as well, but these here. He says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He's talking about material possessions. Okay, so let me read that again. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God is faithful to supply your need and often to give you more than enough as we see in our day, our age, our society. He gives more than enough not so that we can heap up riches to ourselves but so that we can enrich others with the riches of the love and the care of God. God gives to us richly so we can enrich others. He freely gives to us so that we may freely give to others. And when we do, when we give to others, we are laying up treasure in glory. Listen to this from James Edwards. I thought this was good. He said, giving to the poor is good for the poor but it is no less good for the giver. Giving to the poor is good for the poor, but it is no less good for the giver. In the mission of the 70, he says, remember that? Jesus sent out the 70, two by two, to preach the kingdom and to heal and so on. 
Remember what Jesus said? Don't take this. Don't take, uh, don't take a staff. Don't take, uh, sandals for your feet. Don't take an extra cloak. And he said, don't take a money bag. Don't take a purse, you could say. In the mission of the 70, disciples were sent without a purse. But giving to the poor makes a purse for disciples that will not wear out, ever fail, or be destroyed. Divesting of possessions and giving to the needy creates capital in God's economy because it directs both resources and allegiances to the Lord rather than to the world. He said, drop your money bag. Leave it behind. You don't need it. Now he is promising that money bag that will not fail. And don't think that he's necessarily merely talking about material wealth in heaven. Man, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to have a mansion. My lawn is going to be immaculate. I'm going to have the white picket fence. I'm going to have, oh, I don't know how many garages full of every kind of car, you know, on and on and on it goes. But he is promising reward for those who choose not to seek reward in this life, but in that life which is to come. So we have verse 34. It says that, I'll sum it up first, when you seek the kingdom of God and invest your life and your possessions in God's kingdom, your heart is going to follow suit. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A very famous wisdom saying and axiom of Jesus. Uh, We know it by rote. We know it so well, we might miss how unusual this verse actually is. I mean, because this is not the order that we would expect, right? And it's true that when you um, set your heart on the things of God, your behavior follows suit. If you have the right allegiance in your heart, it's going to affect your actions. That's true, but Jesus is actually saying the opposite. In this verse, he, he turns it around and he says that when you have the right actions, your allegiance is transformed. When you do right in your life, it changes your heart. I, I think this is such a sweet promise. I, I know that we, we want our hearts seeking after the kingdom of God, prizing the kingdom above all things. You want your heart there? in the kingdom invested there, then put your money there, your time, your energy, all of your resources. God requires that we invest in His kingdom. And when we invest in His kingdom, that's where our interest is going to be. That's where our passion is going to be when we're invested. That's where you're going to find your joy and your peace and all of your hope. Not in the things of this world, but in the kingdom. Because that's where your life is invested. And God requires all. Your head, your heart, your hands, and all that you can hold in them. Time, energy, money, all your resources, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's give it all to the kingdom of God. And our heart will follow suit. This kingdom is coming. And we're going to talk about that next week, about being ready for the coming of the kingdom. This kingdom is coming. This kingdom 
is our salvation. There is nothing else to live for. God will be faithful to supply our needs through this life. So we do not need to be anxious. Jesus is setting us free from anxieties and the worries of life. Yes, concerns. We have concern. And we have legitimate grief in this life. But we must not give these things in life undue concern. Our obsession. We are not to seek the things of this world. Christ is setting you free to seek His kingdom above all. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. There there are so many promises here. Each one so rich. We've spent a little time mulling them over today. But I pray that this uh, meditation would be effective to plant these promises deep in our hearts. And I pray that we would use these promises faithfully in the fight against worry and anxiety and fear. I pray that these promises would free us from those things so that we can pour ourselves, all we are and all we have, into the kingdom of Your Son. We thank You, Father, for the promise that we are nearer to our salvation than when we first believed. The night is on the way out and the light is dawning, the light of Your kingdom. I pray, Father, that we would live for that kingdom and be faithful until it comes. Until the knowledge of Your glory covers this whole earth just as the waters cover the seas. May we be faithful until then, trusting in You to supply, living for You alone. In Christ's name, Amen.